Today is going to be part three of the book of Daniel. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Daniel as the stone that crushes, the rock that crushes. Last week we looked at Daniel, part two, and he is the great protector. And we learned as we studied uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace that the Lord Jesus protected them there. He was the Son of God. In the lion's den, he protected Daniel, uh, kept him safe after Nebuchadnezzar's, or after Darius's judgment came down upon uh, uh, Daniel. So last week, we saw that he is the great, the great protector. This morning, we're going to look at the fact that Christ Jesus is the great rock that crushes. He is the stone that crushes. So our first question as we look at that is, crushes what? What does he crush? And I think we need to understand that what that part of Daniel is focusing on is all the kingdoms of this world. Man may think he is in charge. Man may think he is the boss. Man may think that he is going to have his way continually. But folks, that's not what's going to happen. And it is Daniel that so rightly focuses on that stone that crushes. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Daniel is a historical view and it is a futuristic view of what's going to happen on earth. That statue that pertains to Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we're going to look at here in just a second, that statue represents all the nations that uh, had Israel under its dominion and has lasted what the Scripture calls the time of the Gentiles. The Scripture talks about until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, or the fullness of the Gentiles in. Well, we see that that statue that came about due to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, it includes all of the kingdoms of this world that had Israel under subjection. That's what they pertain to, whether it be Nebuchadnezzar, whether it be in, in Babylon, it all has to do with those nations that had Israel under subjection. Now there have been other nations, for sure, but the ones that held uh, Israel under its subjection, beginning with that dream and Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that are the, those are the nations that we're going to be looking at and their impact on the nation of Israel in captivity, primarily in captivity. But I want you to turn it with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Starting with verse 20. Daniel chapter 2, starting with verse 20. Now you know that Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream, he wants this dream interpreted, but he doesn't tell the wise men, he doesn't tell his counselors 
those that are supposed to be inter to able to interpret dreams, he hasn't told them what the dream is because he can't remember it, but basically he figures if you're so wise, you're going to tell me, and they can't tell him what the dream is. And they say, well, you tell us what you dreamed, and we'll give you an interpretation. He goes, yeah, right, that's not going to work. I want you to tell me what the dream was also. And they can't do it. And so he basically says, off with their heads. He sends his captain to collect all the wise men of Babylon, and they're going to execute them. And Daniel says, Lord, I need to pray. Lord, I need, I need to pray. I, I, he gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together, and they pray, Lord, because they are included in those wise men. They're included in that group. And what a testimony this is going to be. After all those wise men and those uh, uh, magicians and, and all, of, all of those people, they can't give Nebuchadnezzar an answer. But guess who can? The true God of heaven. And he's going to give it to Daniel. And the impact that that's going to have on Nebuchadnezzar is outstanding. But verse 20. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. This next verse, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to hear this verse. If you're fearing the future, if you're concerned about what the future holds, know this verse. Verse 21. And he that changes the times and the season, he that removes kings, he that sets up kings, he gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Folks, from that verse, we learn, we know that God is in control. All the powers of this world, he's in control of. He sits upon his throne. The tomb is empty. We can trust him. Our future is in his hands. And we can trust God. He is the one who sets kings up. He is the one who takes kings down. All the kingdoms and the emperors and the presidents and all of this world, they may think they're in charge, but I have news for them. They are not. God's plan, God's purpose will take place. And there's nothing that the arch enemy can do anything about there is nothing that this world and, and all the elite and, and all those that sit in ivory palaces and all those who pull the strings and think they are in charge, knowing that Satan is over them, he's the God of this world, they may think they can subdue, they may think they can stop the plan and purpose of God, but they can't. And we're going to see that in the book of Daniel. And we can rest assured that we're on the winning side, that God's in charge, and we can rest comfortably in Him. Doesn't mean that our life is going to be without difficulty. Doesn't mean that our life is, is going to be without tragedy. Doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer persecution. Friends, quite frankly, I believe we are going to. And these day and times in this woke environment, those that hold to God's Word, prepare for persecution. Prepare for right to be wrong and wrong to be right. And you're right, not wrong. And so the world looks at that and hates you for it. So I think that's coming. But that's not going to prevent us from standing on the Word of God. 
but he that changes the times and the seasons. He, he is the one that's in charge. I want you to remember that. Verse 22, he reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and, that, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might, and hath made known unto me that what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. In other words, you told us what the dream is, and he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. Drop down to verse 27. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? Hey, you know, he's setting King Nebuchadnezzar up. Saying, what, can't, can't all these other wise men tell you what your dream was? Can't they interpret it for you? And we know the answer is no. So the outcome is going to be, let's give the true God of heaven glory. Let's, let's make sure we understand who is all-knowing. What a testimony this is about who the true and living God is. See, and that's what Israel was supposed to be doing in the land anyway. They were to be an example to the entire world, to all the kingdoms of the world, who the true and living God is. Now they're in captivity, and God is going to be glorified. He's basically saying, I'm going to, I'm going to receive glory from you. My name's at stake. You're going to glorify me. I gave you the chance to do it in the land. Now you're out of the land, and you're going to be glorified. And sure enough, as we learned last week, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, only God could have done that. Who was glorified? God in heaven. With Daniel in the lion's den, who was glorified? God himself. No one but the true and living God could have withstood those hungry lions. So verse 27, or verse 28, But there is a God in heaven, that reveals secrets and makes known unto King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, my thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that reveals secrets makes known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation of the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, saw and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The Hebrew there is magnificent. It was magnificent. This image head was fine gold. His breast and his arms of silver. His belly and his thighs of brass. This image, his legs of iron. His feet part of iron and part of clay. And thou sawest till that stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. 
Then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and came like the shaft of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I think what's interesting is in Daniel chapter 9 verse 20 when Daniel's praying he prays for that mountain. He prays for that mountain who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We'll get there in just a second. But this vision, this dream that Daniel has represents those kingdoms that are going to have dominion over the nation of Israel. Tim, show that image up there. That's an image of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, what I think is interesting is you go on and do some research. Uh, it's amazing how many people believe that Nebuchadnezzar built this image. Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't build the image. The, the, the image that Nebuchadnezzar built was that phallic symbol. Uh, this was just the dream. But this is the dream. The head was gold. The breastplate and the arms were silver. The The... The rest was uh, the, uh, the belly and his thighs were brass, his legs were iron, and his feet were part of iron and part of clay. So this is that dreadful, this was that magnificent statue that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know, what does this mean? I had this dream. What does it mean? And Daniel comes along. And he tells them exactly what it means. That head, from the head to the toes, all of this had to do with those kingdoms that are going to be over the nation of Israel. This is key. Those nations that are going to subdue Israel. These nations, these kingdoms that are going to keep Israel, dominion over Israel. What we're going to see here is Daniel literally gives a timeline for these particular kingdoms. And all but one of them has existed. The last kingdom of the feet and the clay, we don't know this kingdom. We have an idea and we're going to talk about that in a second. But the kingdom of head of gold, we know. That was Nebuchadnezzar. It started there. We're going to read that Daniel says, that head of gold, that's you, Nebuchadnezzar, gives us a fixing point. It's going to tell us who that is. The breast and arms of silver, that's the kingdom of Medes and Persians. That's the ones that's going to come and, and, and defeat Nebuchadnezzar and, and take away his kingdom. Matter of fact, if you've ever heard about Xerxes, anybody ever heard of Xerxes? Uh, is there a movie out that kind of talks about Xerxes? Have you ever seen 300? That movie is about uh, part of that kingdom of Medes and Persians. Uh, when we get to Esther, we're going to go into more detail about uh, those Darius and Cyrus, those kings that were, were part of the silver and their, their importance in, in all of this. 
But those are two of the kingdoms. Israel is subdued. Israel is under subjection. Babylon has them under subjection. The Medes and Persians have had them under subjection. The belly and the thighs were brass. That's Greece. That's Alexander the Great. Now, know this. And I think this is one of the most important aspects of the book of Daniel. And you can see why we need to go through this verse by verse. Because, number one, Tim's going to earn his money today as we jump around. And, then, and, and second, uh, your eyeballs might be fluttering by the time we get through with all the different scripture. Because we're going to be going back and forth. But we need to understand that the, this, this belly and thighs of brass being grease. And Greece was controlled by Alexander the Great. But Alexander the Great didn't, uh, he didn't reign for very long. He was 33 years old when, when he died. And his kingdom was divided into four different sections. What the book of Daniel tells us, that Alexander the Great, his kingdom, Greece, was divided into four sections. It was divided into Egypt. It was divided in Greece. That, they kept part of it. Assyria and Asia Minor, which is Turkey. And you may say, okay, but what's important about that? What's important about that is God's Word tells us that the beast, the Antichrist, is going to come from one of those countries, from one of those areas, that the beast, the little horn, is going to come from one of these. Look at Daniel chapter 8. See, this is fascinating. See, the book of Daniel focuses on primarily that last part of the feet and the clay. The feet, the feet of iron and the miry clay and that mix. That is the kingdom that's going to exist during the last of Daniel's, the last 70th week. That last seven year, that seven year tribulation period. All the others will have occurred. The only one that will has not happened is that last one. And that one it represents the beast and those kings that are going to support him, the Antichrist, that miry clay where it mixes with the seed of men. We're going to talk about that in a second because I think it puts it in a spiritual realm, a supernatural realm that is going to be quite interesting. But look at Daniel chapter 8. So with verse... Uh, in chapter 8, it talks about the ram and identifies the ram as Medes and Persians and talks about uh, Darius and, and Cyrus, the two main kings there, and how those, those two rams are going to meet this, this one uh, he-goat, and this he-goat is just going to plaster them and knock them out. And by, by the way, Daniel 8 uh, interprets who the, the ram is. Verse 20 says that ram is Median Persia. Uh, the he-goat, that's uh, Greece. So it's, it's, you're not guessing. We're not, stip we're not wondering. God's word tells us. But the he goat, look at verse 8 of, verse, of chapter 8. And there the, therefore the he goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Strong, 33 years old. Talking about Alexander the Great. And when he was strong, he was broken. And for it came up four notable ones, or four notable horns, or four notable nations, toward the four winds of heaven. And one of them came forth 
a little horn. So out of those four, well, history will tell you that those four kingdoms that came out of Alexander the Great was Egypt, Greece, Assyria, and Turkey, or Asia Minor. Out of one of those, the beast is going to come. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. The pleasant land is always Israel. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, the angelic host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stomped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. So we know this is most definitely the beast, the Antichrist. And by him was the sacrifice taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression or sin, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Talking about the beast, the Antichrist. So the beast, the Antichrist, coming from one of those four countries, tells us one thing very important. He's not Jewish. Where that ever came from, have no idea. But he's not Jewish. He's going, to, I believe, he's going to be Islamic. I think he's going to be coming out of Turkey. I think he's going to be Islamic. And I think he is uh, going to be the one that causes such great... Well, we know he's going to be the one that causes such great suffering. Uh, I think he's going to start out as a moderate Muslim. We know in, in chapter 11, verse 21... Uh, Daniel is talking about the beast again and he talks about how this beast is going to come on the scene and he is going to win the nation over with flatteries and with prosperity he's going to be charismatic he is just going to win the world and here is this charismatic this moderate Islamic leader that is going to turn nasty he is going to turn incredibly mean as a matter of fact I think that is how you can understand uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Revelation 24 talks about that the persecution that's going to occur during the tribulation, that persecution is going to end for many with beheadings. Look at Revelation 20. And while, I, while you turn there, what is the primary sort or the primary way that uh, Islam executes his people. How? Beheadings. But look at verse 20, uh, chapter 20 verse of Revelation, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the worship and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. These are the martyrs. These are those who are going to lose their life during the tribulation period. And the Bible tells us how they're going to lose their life. They are beheaded, which is the chosen method 
of capital punishment within the Islamic nations. I think this also explains how permission to rebuild the temple is going to occur. Can you imagine if a Jewish guy came along and said, hey, we've decided we're going to build the temple. I know that's the Temple Mount and the Mosque of Omar is there, but we disregard all of that. We're going to build our temple there. No, I think this, this guy is going to have connections. I think they're going to come and determine that where the Mosque of Omar sits is not really the temple site. As a matter of fact, there's already a lot of rumbling about that, that where the Mosque of Omar sits that is not where the temple, the Jewish temple, was actually placed. And it's over just a little bit, and this guy's going to come along, and he's going to have this great idea. We can build a real temple. Come on, Muslim gang. Let's just get together. Can't we all just get along? It's with flatteries. It is with power. It's with all of these other ten kings, demonic beings, that are going to be supporting him. Remember, he's Satan's guy. He is the one that Satan chooses, just like Satan offered Christ. Remember the wilderness temptation? You know, you bow down to me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. We talked about that last week. And the Lord Jesus did say, nah, no, sorry, Satan, they don't belong to you. No, he just said, you get behind me. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. He didn't tell Satan he didn't have them to give because he does. He is the king. He, he's the God of this world, little g. And so here we, we have this, this Antichrist, this beast. He, he is gaining power. He's gaining might that first three and a half years. And all of this authority is being given unto him. And he's going to be able to enter into an agreement or at least confirm an agreement with the nation of Israel. And I think part of that confirmation process, part of that agreement is going to be to build the temple site. And I think that it, the world is just going to rejoice. The world is going to say, finally, someone that has the answers, someone that can pull both of these two warring sides together, and isn't he wonderful? First, First Thessalonians 5 tells us what happens during that time, that when they start saying peace and safety, what happens? Sudden destruction. But that's exactly during the day of the Lord, when they say peace and safety. I think people see great things happen, happening. Those pesky Christians are gone. We're no longer around disturbing their sin. We're no longer around pointing out things, world, you shouldn't be doing. We're, we're no longer going to be around standing on the Word of God. And so these things are going to state, start taking place. The, the covenant with Israel is going to be confirmed. People are going to say peace and safety. And the, everything is just going to look great. By the way, I think that's what's going to cause the other uh, Islamic nations uh, from Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we're going to be talking about that soon, those Islamic nations to say, we've got to stop this. They're going to come against the beast, the nation of Israel, and God's going to step in and deter that. And all of that is taking part, place the beginning of that tribulation period that Daniel was talking about. So, where was I? You got, you, you've, you've got the, the, uh, the Medes and Persians, uh, you have Greece, that's Alexander, 
and his, he, was, he was that. Then you have the legs. Now, folks, this is where it starts really getting interesting. And at least I hope it is. It was to me. I, I, did, I just didn't want to quit studying and looking at this. And there's still a gazillion things I left out that I, well, maybe not a gazillion, but a large number that I thought, oh, they need to know that. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Uh, the legs are iron. That's Rome. That's Rome. Because it's Rome that's going to have dominion over the nation of Israel. Now there's a phrase you need to remember. A phrase you need to be aware of. The phrase that says, in the fullness of the Gentiles become in. In the fullness of the Gentiles become in. From God's perspective and timing, the time of the Gentiles began when Nebuchadnezzar led Judah into captivity. The time of the Gentiles is not going to be over until the Lord Jesus comes back, establishes his kingdom on earth, rules and reigns, and all the promises to the nation of Israel take place. But even this present dispensation that we're part of is still the time of the Gentiles. It's time of the Gentiles. Rome was time of the Gentiles. It's all about having domination over Israel. It's critical to know this. Who was over Israel when Christ came on earth, the scene, on the scene? That was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was over the nation of Israel at that time. You say, but wait, 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 wait. Didn't Judah return? Didn't Judah go back under the Medes and Persians? Yeah, it was Cyrus that said, yeah, you guys can go back. Which Esther, by the way, had a big deal in that. When we get to Esther, we're going to talk about her role. But yes, they came back, but they were always subjected to another kingdom. They came back, but they never were the nation that God is going to make them. They were always under a higher authority, a higher power. Either Greece, either Rome, including here, when Christ came to earth, they are under Rome. You say, but what about now? What, what about now? Israel is their own nation now. What about now? What we need to understand is Israel is low ante, not my people. Right at this moment, during this present dispensation of God, and this is critical, folks, that we understand that God does not have a favored nation during this period of time. He is no respecter of persons. Israel is blinded. God is not working through nations. He's not working through Israel. He's working through the church, the body of Christ. Right now, Israel has been temporarily set aside. God is no respecter of persons. If a Jewish man today believes in Christ Jesus, he is placed into the body of Christ just where every Gentile that believes is placed and sealed into the day of redemption. It doesn't matter to God. God is not offering the Messiah to the nation of Israel today. He is offering the Savior of the world. He is offering uh, the Lord Jesus as Savior. But God is not dealing through Israel. Israel is blinded. 
And it's not until the rapture of the church takes place and this Antichrist, this beast comes on the scene that all of this is going to start working and operating again. Right now, Israel is blinded. There is, it doesn't matter who's over Israel, even if Israel is its own nation, doesn't matter. God's not working through Israel. He's working through you, the church, to reach a lost and dying world that God is the answer, that Christ is the answer. So here, is the, here are the legs, this powerful Roman nation. It, it comes on the scene. It is the nation that is over Israel, that Israel is subjected to. Yeah, they have their kings. Who are their kings? Who was Agrippa? Who was Herod? Who were all of these kings under subjection to? Rome. All Rome. Look at Daniel chapter 9. Look at Daniel chapter 9. We need to understand that the book of Daniel gives us an absolute positive timeline of God's prophetic program and purpose. It leaves no question. It, Daniel's prophecy spoke loud and clear to the nation of Judah, to the nation of Israel concerning God's timeline. And it includes Rome here in that vision that he gave. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression. Now, 70 weeks, how many years is that? 490. I'll make it easy. That's 490 years. Daniel's 70 weeks, 490 years. And the Lord is going to tell Daniel, Daniel, from the time that the decree is issued to rebuild the city till the coming of the end time, the Lord's return, when the Lord Jesus sets up his own kingdom, when that rock that comes down and crushes those kingdoms that have subjected Israel, it's going to be 490 years. You can't get any clearer than that. You say, but wait a minute. You scratch your head and say, wait a minute. It's been longer than 490 years. You can do the math. I can do the math. But there's a reason for that, and it's a glorious reason. And you can thank God that heaven is your home because of the reason we're going to look at in a second. But it tells it very plainly, 70 weeks or 490 years are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Who's ho what, what was the name of the city? Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to finish the sin, to finish this, this rebelliousness, and to make an end of sins. Hallelujah. When God causes Israel to walk in his statutes, when we get to... Ezekiel will be talking about God says I'm going to put well in Jeremiah he says I'm going to put my law in your inward parts I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes I'm going to give you a soft heart I'm going to cause you to walk after me you're not going to have to ask anybody do you know God because you're all going to know me is what he tells to the nation of Israel an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity 
and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That's all talking about the Lord establishing His kingdom on earth, ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. Daniel is writing all of this. The Lord is showing it to him, and he's going to give him a fixed point of when to start that 490 years. It can't be any clearer. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. It's going, it is, Daniel is telling them that it's going to be 483 years till the Messiah is going, well, it, it, you have 483 years. The Messiah is going to be cut off. Look at verse 26. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off or killed. He, comes in, he came into his own, his own received him not. But not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come, talking about the beast, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and, in the end of the, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm, talking about the beast, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And, if, and that one week tallies how many years? Seven. Every week represented seven years. So that covenant, how we know the tribulation is going to last seven years. And in the midst of the week, talking about the tribulation, in the midst of that week, and how, if, if the tribulation is seven years, and in the midst of that, that is how many years? Three and a half. What happens at the end of three and a half years? The beast comes in, commits the abomination of desolation. He sets himself up as God in the temple. And boy, things get rough after that. The great and terrible wrath of God takes place for the last three and a half, the last three and a half years. But see, God's word here tells them from the going forth of the temple and when we get to Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2.1 is that point. That is when the, the king of, of uh, Medes and Persian, Esther's husband, tells Nehemiah, he says, why, why are you so droopy? Why are you so depressed, Nehemiah? Nehemiah's Jewish. He was his cupbearer. And he tells him about how, how things are back home and he, he, he's concerned about his people and he wants to go back and he, he says, okay. He gives him permission. He sends him back to rebuild the city. That's when the 490 years start. And God's word even gives them a clear answer when they should start looking for the Messiah, when he should be dying. Somebody in Israel under Roman control some, one of the scribes, one of the Pharisees, some, the, the chief priest, somebody should have gone, hey guys, wait a minute. Isn't that something, somebody grab me a concordance. Some place in Daniel, doesn't it talk about how long before the Messiah and, and from the going forth, let's see, when Nehemiah came and then, well, that's, 
the Messiah. It's, his time. it's time for him. The word of God is clear. And guess what? The Messiah came. God's word was fulfilled. God's word came about. Christ, according to Isaiah and to Jeremiah and the prophets, he was to be that lamb slain. And he was slain. That's what, what Daniel's talking about. He shall be cut off. But not for himself. It's for Israel. He's to be that slain lamb. That's 483 years from the time the temple, I mean, the, yeah, Jerusalem was to be rebuilt and Nehemiah was sent. That's the fixed point. You start counting. And sure enough, Christ Jesus was offered up 483 years after that. Now, if you have 483, and how many years before the, 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 the kingdom is established and the end of sin and the transgression is settled, uh, it, how many years? 490. And if you add seven years to 483, how many do you have? 490. That seven-year period being the tribulation period. Who was Israel under dominion to when Christ was offered up? Rome. Rome. Look at Acts chapter 2. And I really, really, really wanted to finish Daniel today. And we will. But I need to hurry. Look at Acts chapter 2. And the purpose of this is to show you folks you can trust God's Word to be true, to be accurate. And second, the reason you're sitting here worshiping the high God of heaven, loving Christ Jesus as your Redeemer, is because there was a program, there was a plan, there was something hid in God that 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that had the, had the princes of this world, had the rulers of this world, and I think it's talking about demonic, understood what the cross was all about, they would not have crucified him. They had no idea that there was a program hid in God, that by grace he was going to have mercy, he was going to offer salvation, not according... Remember, salvation was of the Jews. If a Gentile to be saved, they had to be saved through Israel. According to all that prophetic program, it all concerned Israel. It concerned the kingdoms that were over Israel. It concerned Christ being that stone that crushes that was going to come and deliver Israel. Acts 2 bears that out. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance exactly what Isaiah 28 said was going to happen. And here at Jerusalem were Jews, devout men out of every nation. This was the feast of Pentecost. Something was happening. Something glorious was happening. It was the promise of the Father that the Holy Spirit was going to come. It was going to empower these 12 apostles that are going to reign 
and judge the 12 tribes off 12 thrones during the millennial kingdom when Christ, that rock, comes and crushes. All of this was starting. This was happening. You said, but I thought you said it was the beginning of the tribulation. Well, look at verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words, that these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Folks, they were at the beginning of the last days, which the tribulation consists of that last seven years when all of that things that were prophesied concerning the beast, the false prophet, and all is to take place, they were in the last days. Rome was that nation that was over them. Go back to Daniel real quick, real quick. I'm Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse, verse 44. Daniel 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings, which kings is it talking about? It's talking about Babylon. It's talking about Medes and Persia. It's talking about uh, that, that image, but precisely in the days of these kings, talking about that feet of iron and clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall be destroyed, and the kingdom shall, shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In the days of these kings, which kings? The, the kings that are represented by those ten toes, by that, those feet of iron and clay that was a mixture and not very strong, and it, those kings mix with the seed of man, which I believe they're demonic, and they're, it's not, it's not going to work. That is going to be the time when the Lord is going to come back and he's going to destroy that, those feet, those ten kings, those that are in power there. But see, this was the day of Pentecost. Back to Acts 2. You've got the nation of Israel on the day of Pentecost, realizing something that the Father had promised was going to happen. They were being empowered by the Holy Spirit to endure that tribulation period. That last seven years was commencing. How do we know that? Because Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. We don't have time. You go to Joel chapter 2 and Joel chapter 3. What is it describing? The day of the Lord. The tribulation period. The time of Jacob's trouble. What was going on on the day of Pentecost was the beginning of the end. The last 400, 483 years had gone by since Nehemiah had gone and started rebuilding Jerusalem and the wall. Prophetically, it was time. All of that was coming together. There was no church age at this time. The Messiah had died. He had died for Israel. He had died in order that Israel might be that nation of priests. But at this point, the tribulation was just getting started. But it didn't last long. 
because Israel rejected their Messiah. But just as the Scripture said they would do. Just as the Scripture said they would do. We're not going to get into Daniel 7 or Daniel 8. But know this. As you read through this, you see the hand of God working and fulfilling His promises to Israel. And from Daniel, we see the promise of Christ that rock that crushes is going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom. And all of that was offered to the nation of Israel. Even Peter stood and he called on Israel to do exactly what the prophets had called on them to do. Repent. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Peter called on Israel in Acts 3 to repent in order that the times of refreshing the millennial kingdom can come from the presence of the Lord. All, all of that was promised. All go back to Daniel. All the, you, you see what was going to happen. And it was at this point that the beast, the Antichrist, should have come on the scene. He should have... It, everything was, was set. It didn't happen that fifth kingdom did not get established. The feet were iron, representing part of Rome, but the clay, I believe, are part demonic. And during that tribulation, the, the influence of de, uh, the demonic influence is going to be staggering. And it's during that tribulation period that you're going to see so much of, of that demonic activity and the different seals that are broken and, and the different trumpet judgments and all the things that are going to be taking place. Folks, it's just going to be incredible during that time. And matter of fact, Christ says in Matthew 24, just like at the time of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes back. What, what was going on at the time of Noah? You just go back to Genesis 6. When the sons of God, the fallen angels, went into the daughters of men, the offspring were giants. All of that's going to happen again. All of that's going to start occurring again during that tribulation period. You say, Pastor, you're crazy. If I'm crazy, the Word of God is too, because that's exactly what the Word of God says. By the way, by the way, Genesis 3, God puts enmity between the woman's seed and Satan's seed. Does the woman have a seed? Yeah. Well, does Satan have a seed? Evident. The Bible wouldn't say he did if he didn't. And that demonic influence is going to happen again. And I got news for you. Wiedepitaka. How do you pronounce that? Wiedepitaka. That's one of those weird. Anyway, Google. I can say that better transhumanism, post-human, Google that. I wish we had time to get into it, but we don't. Google transhumanism. See what it says is going on, what the future holds with modern technology and how they're taking modern technology and they're going to be bringing it into human. And there's a story about you, you go to 
what their hope and their dream is, is one night you go to, you lay down and, or you go into for a surgery and you wake up and you know things that you've never known before because of the, the technology that they're going to be applying and stuff. It's frightening stuff that people are excited about the potential. Well, all the modern technology, the merging of modern technology and the DNA alterations and all the things that, are, that they're talking about, but the things that God's words already said were going to happen. And as the people of God, we need to start seeing it, recognizing it, and believing God. But what happened back on the day of Pentecost and the beginning of that Daniel's 70th week, what came rather than God's wrath falling was his matchless, wonderful grace. That's why it's been going on all this over 2,000 years. Yeah, it was 490 years before the kingdom was going to be established, but God interrupted that program. Why? So that none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. God's not willing that any should perish. Why? So that in the ages to come, God might show the exceeding riches of his grace. God put that program into abeyance. That clock stopped. That 490 years, and it'll happen. And when that clock, when the rapture takes place, that clock starts tick, 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 tick again. And there, people that are on, on earth and alive during that time, they're going to know that they're in the middle of the tribulation. When they, three and a half years, when they go in and they see the beast go in and establish or set himself up as, as God, that all of those dates are going to start clicking away again. Right now, we're in this dispensation of the grace of God. What a glorious time to be alive. What a glorious time to understand that God loves you, that Christ died for you, that we get to preach his word, we get to study his word, we get to declare his word, but we get to tell a world that God's grace is sufficient to save you to the uttermost. Jew or Gentile, God's prophetic program concerning Israel has been put on hold. Why? So that by grace he can offer salvation to whosoever will. That's love, folks. That's mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that we serve the great protector. And Father, we come acknowledging that Christ Jesus is that stone that crushes and that will take place. Father, the kingdoms of this world, the nations of this world will come before him and bow. We come acknowledging that all the truth, that not one dot, not one tittle, will be left unfulfilled. God, your word bears that out. But oh, your word also tells us in this love letter to us that you are not willing that any should perish. And Father, in your grace, in your mercy, you extend salvation, redemption, to be reconnected to you by whosoever will, let him come. Father, we thank you for that plan of salvation. Father, may we study your word in order for us to understand clearly what the future holds. But Father, may we also understand that you're on your throne, that you rule supreme. And regardless of what happens,
Father, we are citizens of heaven, that we have a testimony to declare, that, Father, the world can do whatever they want to do to, to us, but we know that heaven is our home and that we have a ministry here to serve you until you call us home. Father, may we be faithful in doing that. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that, Father, by faith they'll trust you, they'll believe that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again for them. That they'll believe today. We thank you for this period of grace. We thank you for this time of grace. We thank you for this church age. Father, may we be busy during this time, pointing people to the God who loves them, so much so that he went to such an extreme measure to purchase our redemption. We thank you for that, Father. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.